Okay, uh, guys, here's the thing. <clears throat> I've been having a coughing thing. It's a, I just cough for no reason. And once I start, it's hard to stop. And so this might happen uh, in today's show. Uh, I'm sorry about that. I'm not going to be able to mute it out. I'm going to try to write my mute buttons, but I will fail. But you didn't tune in to hear about any of that. You don't care. You don't give a damn about my throat. And so without any further ado, hello, hello, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers. I'm your host, David the Skeptic, and I'm joined by... (laughs) (coughs) And he's joined by David Russell, his... (coughs) Christian co-host, along with Travis, uh, the other Christian, and this ragtag group we got below me. Um, say hi, guys. Hi, guys. <laughs> Don't all go at once. I think Brian with a P. <laughs> yeah. Brian. All right. So yeah. Brian is actually going to be manning the chat room. Uh, he is oh, the official okay. chat room moderator today uh, until he decides to walk out and uh, leave things unattended. Um, Anyone who is in the chat room who might have something to say, I think there's a hand raise feature. Uh, We'll be glad to bring you in. Um, I might uh, have to step out of the podcast every now and then to, uh, you know, take care of a fit. Uh, But besides that, let's uh, see if we can't move uh, forward. We are in the series, A Time to Kill. Um, and, uh, Russell and I started it off by talking about, um, killing, uh, with a kind of a general philosophical overview. Uh, that was a pretty good show. Uh, you should go back and listen to it. It's on, uh, skeptics and seekers dot squarespace.com. And, um, when you see the show, a time to kill, that page will have all of the shows that we're doing. And so that was a pretty good one. The second uh, show we did last week was on abortion. That was a terrible show. That was a dumpster fire of a show. Uh, you should listen to that one too. Um, but it was a train wreck. And so you should listen to it in the same way that you watch a train wreck. Uh, you just can't tear yourself away from it. Uh, it was exactly what you should expect uh, from uh, uh, a panel full of uh, type A-hole personalities uh, on a topic that we all care about. Uh, and so I'm fine with that. Great. Uh, we had uh, Clinton Wilcox uh, guest starring uh, as the Christian show host. It was his first time on Skeptics and Seekers. I hope that it is not his last time on Skeptics and Seekers because um, uh, we all really agree. We liked him a lot, and I wish he could have um, been uh, been uh, there for more of the show. He had to leave uh, partway through. Uh, this week, we are dealing with Uh, the subjects of war and self-defense. So as you already know, there are lots of faces of killing. Uh, And we're going to deal with six of them before this series is over. So we dealt with abortion uh, this week, war and self-defense. Tomorrow, we'll actually be doing another show uh, featuring Matt and whoever else wants to come along. And we'll be talking about the death penalty. Uh, I'm kind of looking forward to that one. Next week, uh, we will be doing euthanasia and suicide. And um, I'm sure that we'll have some guests there, but I plan to get into the ring on that one because I care a lot about that uh, issue. And so if you want to hear me do more talking um, next week, uh, euthanasia and suicide, <clears throat> I will I will be featuring myself <laughs> in that show. Um, 
and uh, whoever wants to take on that conversation. That's that's going to be a, a, a difficult, uh, serious, sad, uh, at times, conversation, I'm sure. Uh, we all have stories. And uh, then we'll finally close it out uh, with uh, Brian with a Y and myself, as we often do with these series, a... Um, uh, and uh, we'll we'll do a finale uh, and see if we can pull all of these threads together and uh, and make sense of it. And so, uh, without any further ado, uh, let's set the table for war and uh, and self defense. I'm going to go ahead and start with a, a brief opening statement, uh, and I will <clears throat> turn it over to Russell to. Um, uh, follow if he likes and uh, our guest Travis uh, and then I believe that Andrew will be here for uh, a little bit uh, we'll let him round out the opening statements uh, please be brief uh, by brief I mean take the length of my opening statement and cut it into thirds and uh, that that's the length of time <laughs> that the opening statement should be I'm just long-winded um, so here we go I actually feel much the same about this subject, war and self-defense, as I felt about last week's subject, uh, abortion. Uh, it's something that I dislike, uh, I find distasteful. And yet I have to acknowledge that sometimes we just don't have a choice. And that's, that's what we have to do. War is one of those things where only a psychopath would say, oh, yeah, that's a good thing, in my opinion. Um, it's, it's not good for anybody. It's awful. It's a terrible thing to come to. But I do believe that it has to be done. Um, self-defense. Uh, and when I talk about self-defense, I am largely talking about using lethal force. Okay, I'm not talking about um you know running from a situation okay that's a type of self-defense but i'm talking about the kind of self-defense that requires you to put down another human being uh it's a it's a terrible thing i've never had to do it but i'm physically prepared to do it if i had to uh and i think that uh that would disturb my sleep for a while uh, it would change my humanity a bit if I had to, but I would do it. I, I don't think I would hesitate to do it um, if the time came, especially if what I was defending was my wife. Um, I, I, I think I would have to do it. Now, it would be, it's terrible, but sometimes it's necessary. Um, what I have a little bit more trouble with is understanding the Christian view, just philosophically and um, on a lot of levels. I was a Christian for most of my life, a preacher for most of that time. And um, with my understanding of the God of the Bible, in his idea of war, um, his his war doctrines, his behaviors that he both tolerated and ordered. Um, I can tell you now that whatever, whatever my foundational beliefs are that bring me to my opinion on these subjects, it, it's not based on that anymore. And I don't 
I don't understand how anyone could base their understanding, their ideas about war and self-defense and uh, just throwing in uh, the death penalty uh, and claim that they're, they're getting it from the Christian God because the Christian God is a war criminal, is a monster. Um, and I can't imagine that any part of a good person's framework could possibly come from that. We might have some discussion about that today, or it could be that uh, the participants just breeze right by that and um, have nothing to say about it. But um, yeah, my, my beliefs are, are fairly complicated, but at the end of the day, I do believe, um, largely because of human limitations, that there are times when we have to engage in war and we have to defend ourselves uh, lethally. Furthermore, you'll see if I if I do much talking this show, I believe those two things are connected. And so I think it would be very I think it would be very strange to find someone who say did not believe that self defense lethal self defense was okay, but they also believed that war was okay. I think these things kind of go hand in hand. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there and uh, turn it over to uh, Russell. Um, Russell. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Yes. Yeah, so this is an important subject. Uh, we see uh, throughout Christian history uh, that, you know, the early church favored more of a pacifistic way, although it's been debated that that may not have been the case, uh, that, you know, uh, that this topic was actually debated pretty vigorously. Um, but yeah, so. When it comes to self-defense and and war, you know, I think for me, self-defense is a is is allowed. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm a complete pacifist because I think there is a moral obligation duty to protect one's family. Um, so I do believe that self-defense is a uh, viable option for a Christian. I just everything else that David brought up in his opening, you know, I didn't have a write up, so I couldn't get back to you guys. So, <laughs> uh, I didn't prepare anything myself. So I do believe Christians have a right to self-defense, uh, war. I think that I, I think I expressed in my opening statement two weeks ago, what I thought on war. So you'll have to go back and, and, uh, re-listen to that or whatever you want on that on to get my position there. But yeah. David. All right. Um, Trevor, would uh, would you like to say uh, a few words and set the table about your your initial thoughts on the subject? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'm Travis. I've been a Christian for about, you know, four years. I kind of grew up not believing in God. I've, you know, just recently come into the faith, so to speak. Uh, and even as a Christian, I, I've kind of my view has differed on this because I have a part of my family who's uh, Messianic Jewish, and uh, so they would very much defend like what's kind of known as just war. And, you know, the, like you were saying, the God of the Old Testament being uh, vengeful and that, you know, uh, what was good for Israel can kind of, you know, ancient Israel can kind of still be good for today. And so that's kind of the, the view I just like automatically adopted. But really looking at it, I have had a change of heart and I lean much more uh, pacifist now. Um I think the only time that it's justified to kill is if one's life is in immediate danger 
Or I, I would also apply that nationally. Like if, you know, if we're like going to be like under attack for sure, then yes, it, it's okay to defend, you know, our country nationally and everything. But I think a lot of the killing, even what we call justified killing that happens is unjustified. Uh, I think of like, you know, uh, police procedures. I think there's other things they could do that would uh, spare a lot of lives. I'm very anti-death penalty. And so um, I think there, there are these instances, you know, where it is uh, justified, but um, I, I would lean very, uh, very much pacifist uh, otherwise. So that's what I got. And we can kind of flesh that sure. out a little bit more. I appreciate that. And I hope you show up tomorrow, uh, same, uh, same time, because we're going to yeah. be talking about the death penalty exclusively tomorrow. I, it was going to be a part of today's show, but uh, one of the people that I really wanted on it um, couldn't be here today. Uh, and so we'll do a, a smaller show tomorrow on that. Um, so I think it would be interesting to have um, some some multiple views on the death penalty because I think we'll find that yeah. that's not uh, a partisan issue at all. It's not going to break down by Christian versus atheist. Uh, and I think that we're gonna we're gonna have a very interesting discussion on that. Uh, Andrew, uh, did you uh, want to uh, say something? Yeah, so I'll uh, rather than rather than talking about whether I'm a pacifist or or not, I will simply ask a, a practical question. This is something that is in the news right now. Um, directed energy weapons. Uh, in the last few days, there was a directed energy weapon attack on uh, someone that worked for the National Security Council, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in Washington D.C. Uh, if you want a little more background on this, you can look up Havana Syndrome. Um, we've been concerned about uh, directed energy weapons since 2016. We've had uh, probable incidents of directed energy weapon attacks against U.S. diplomats in Havana, Russia, and China. Um, and so my question is, is one sheerly of, of practical nature. Um, if someone is using directed energy weapons, uh, even though it's hard to trace on U.S. soil, is is that an act of war? If they attack our diplomats in a uh, in a foreign country, um, Havana, Cuba, or in Russia or in China, are those acts of war? Uh, and what degree of probability do we require if these things are acts of war? What degree of probability do we require? Uh, in order to declare uh, some kind of response uh, against these attacks that are very hard to pin down. So I'll go back on mute. That's, uh, that's my question for the room. And uh, I look forward to the show. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll come back to that very briefly. But I want to do something uh, for this show that I didn't do um, with the abortion show, I want to see if we can't set the table with regard to the framework that we use for for coming up with decisions about uh, our opinion. Uh, so for me, it's a little bit difficult because I can I can easily tell you what I'm not using. I'm not using a Christian framework. Um, so that's that's clear, and I'm not necessarily using a humanist framework either. I have given people permission to call me a humanist if, if you have to call me something, but I don't really, uh, I'm not really a good humanist 
<clears throat> either if um, if that's what I have to be. I I don't have a worldview. And I know that there are some Christians who think, oh, no, everyone has a worldview. Well, it's just not true, and I don't have one. And so there's no named framework that I can hang on this to say this is what I use, therefore, to come up with my uh, opinions about this thing. Um, but uh, it, to the extent that this is a framework at all, uh, my view is based on bringing the most good to the most people with the least amount of suffering possible. Um, now, that's very complicated to unpack, and I recognize that. Uh, and I will unpack it as we go. Uh, we'll, we'll see how the conversation goes. But that's that's kind of my starting point uh, with this. Um, now, Travis, you have uh, you're going to land uh, on some different conclusions, uh, I think, than I will. So, would you mind uh, talking about your starting point, your framework uh, that you'll be using for this discussion? Sure. My my framework is uh, as in, in uh, it's kind of exactly like you said. Like this, my my view has shifted due to my, you know my Christianity. Okay, and so I look at you know we do have things like war in the Old Testament, but with the uh, you know the advent and you know the work of Christ, uh, I think we see a very very much a, a paradigm shift, and and so I'm gonna frame it based on things like in the Sermon on the Mount. And the fact that, you know, uh, we're told in the New Testament to not to resist the governing uh, authorities and to be subjected to them. And when I look at, you know, what the, the early church went through under the tyranny of the Roman Empire, and if they had these conclusions, uh, then I, I want to project that, that, same, uh, that same mindset that the, the first Christians, the early church had, uh, who were even, you know, subjected to the Roman Empire. And I think we have it far better than that today. And so that's going to be the framework. Uh, I'll try my best to, you know, kind of convert here to what's going on with us. Sure. No, I um, I appreciate that. And before moving on to the others, I just want to put this earworm out there okay. um, for you. And you can come back and address it, uh, you know, at another time or, or right now, if you like. But um, since you're framing it largely with the New Testament Christianity, um, isn't it possible that uh, some of the more pacifist tone that we get was practical rather than doctrinal? Because Christians were people without a country. Um, they they right. really weren't good Jews. <laughs> they weren't good Romans. Right. Um, they were they were people without a country, people without a flag, people without an army. Um, and so, yes, I can I can certainly see how a more pacifistic approach would rise up with a religion that starts with that framework. However, if you're if you're ancient Jews and you've got a holy land uh, to defend and you've got an army, you're going to have a different approach. And if you're Rome, you know, you you rule the world. Of course, you have armies and things to defend. But if you're Christians, you just don't have any of that. 
Right. Uh, yeah, you bring, you definitely bring up some good points. And, you know, what's interesting is a lot of that was by choice. Like, uh, I know uh, when Christianity first, like, really got off the ground, like, you know, we go back to, like, let's say the book of Acts, uh, the early, early Christians were very much Jewish. Uh, I think, you know, it wasn't until, like, you know, we see writings like the Didache and everything, they, they kind of, by choice, started separating themselves uh, from their Jewish, you know, from their country. Uh, and what's interesting is at that time, Israel and Rome were very much at odds. You know, you think of what happened in 70 AD and, um, you know, with the early church, there were also a lot of like, uh, uh, Greco Roman, uh, converts too, that, that kind of separated and kind of joined this Christian movement. So a lot of this, uh, separation and, you know, being a people without a flag, uh, it was by choice because I think they saw the teachings of Christ as being uh, more, uh, more so influential in their lives that that was their first, uh, I don't know what the right word, their dedication was more with that than with their country. Okay. Uh, Russell, what was going on with their? Sure. No, I, I, I appreciate that. I didn't mean to cut you off. Russell, uh, tell us a little bit about your foundational framework for coming to, uh, these decisions and if if it differs at all from travis's uh clue us in on the on the differences i don't think it, it does differ that much um he might be a little more to the right of passivism than me um but i gave you a pretty specific opening statement the other week that pretty much laid out my my uh my points here uh and that was basically in in the frame of reference to self-defense. You know, I don't believe that killing should be the mindset. Even if you're using lethal, lethal force, you're not thinking, I'm going to kill this person. Your mindset should be, I'm going to stop this threat. You know, and if they die in the process, uh, that's unfortunate and that's that's terrible. But I can't allow this person to be a danger to my family, my friends. And if they're, you know, looking to do us harm, they have to be stopped, you know. So that's kind of like my frame framework when lethal forces is necessary. And that's and that's the same you have to take to the courtroom, you know. Uh, so, yeah. So as far as as far as it relates to Christianity, like I said, uh, in my opening statement last week, I do believe that we have to participate in this world. You know, I think that's what Jesus was was saying. Yeah, we represent him, but we also have to render to Caesar's what is Caesar's as well. So um, if our government, for example, asks us to fight a war or drafts us in a war um, for the Christian, it depends what he believes about the war, if, if it's totally a defensive war and he's just in that defense, but that's not the nature of militaries. And I understand that in the nature of, of fighting, a lot of times it's all offensive. So I think at, at times Christians would be just to be a, a conscientious, conscientious objectors. So to serve in that way, however, yeah, I, well, not however, but that's kind of like where I go with all that. Uh, so, yeah, it is largely based off of my understanding of the Sermon on the Mount, the New Testament. Um, and yeah. Okay. Um, Andrew, 
Um, I don't, I, we talk a lot about this, but we don't talk about the underlying frameworks of your thought process. So I've explained mine a little bit. People just assume that, you know, all atheists are alike and we're not, uh, and that's, shouldn't be assumed uh, any more than assuming that all Christians are alike, uh, because they're not. So I want to give you a chance to uh, answer this question, but I also, uh, knowing that you've studied some of this, uh, would like to know your thoughts on uh, early Christian pacifism. Um, do you uh, at all believe, uh, also uh, uh, chat room, um, I'm not sure if you've dealt with this or not, but do you believe that the early Christian stance on pacifism was largely doctrinal or practical? Because it seems to me that when the church, uh, in scare quotes, got power, uh, they also got uh, militant. <laughs> so um, it, it seems like when their practicality changed, their doctrine changed. Um, so anyway, I don't... Uh, you, you can respond to, to all that. You are on mute. And he continues to be on okay. mute. Okay, you're, you're still on mute. Okay, that's that's fine. Um, you know, he's old, so he, he passes out sometimes. You know, it's that narcolepsy that comes on, you know, and it just, you know, it's, it's yeah. okay. We understand. Yeah. That's fine. Um. I was really kind of looking forward to that response too. <laughs> so, um, so that's fine. I I actually don't know enough of church history to speak to that well. I do know that it was hotly debated uh, among the church fathers, but it seems to me that it's a very practical kind of thing when churches were born. Uh, in in during times when they had a uh, you know national identity, uh, they were militant, and then when they didn't have a national identity and a military and a flag, they were pacifists. And the Christian experiment is just a very interesting one because it was born during a time when it would have and should have been and was pacifist, but as soon as it had the ability to become something more or something other than, it did it. Um, so, well, David, let me give a little pushback on that because, okay. And, and you know, I yeah. studied this a, a long time ago, so okay. I'm just, I'm going off of memory here. Um, years ago, I was looking at a story about a legion. It, it was, it was a group of Christians within a, a specific legion when Domitian, uh, started commanding, uh, uh, worship of himself. And, uh, these guys were Christian soldiers for Rome. And when Domitian had that edict come down, <clears throat> they decided, hey, we can't do that. And they were marched out on a frozen lake and uh, told to strip. And they ended up dying of hypothermia. Um, however, <clears throat> what I see in the in the Christian history is, yes, I, I agree with you. This was hotly debated. Absolutely. The church fathers. Uh, debated it. And I think even some changed positions here and there on it when it comes to pacifism and defense. Uh, scripturally, I see that disciples did carry swords at times. Uh, you could also say, well, that was a Minoc. And Minoc is a utensil that was not only a knife, 
um, that was used for defense, but also a tool that was used for everything. So how do we make sense of it? We did see Peter strike off the, the ear of that dude. So uh, there's obviously this sort of mentality was was present. Um, and Jesus basically said, hey, those that live by the sword die by the sword. Um and put the dude's ear back on. So you have that. Then you also have uh, nowhere in the scripture where a soldier converts like Cornelius or the two guys that John the Baptist uh, baptized. You don't see them saying, hey, you got to stop being a soldier. You know, be happy with your rages. I mean, that's what John the Baptist said. Be happy with what you got and do it well. You know, do do right. You know, um, so, yeah. And I. I really wish I had this article that I brought up because it was a pacifist, right? She uh, had wrote a, a church. She was a Mennonite, uh, one of Titus's people. <laughs> and uh, she wrote up a, a, an article where she outlined all this stuff. And I, and I don't have it with me, obviously, because I didn't know exactly what we were doing today because you didn't give me a write up. But uh, yeah, it's all your fault, David. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's fine. And I think, um, I think there's some good points there. Um, yeah. The, um, especially the point about whether soldiers, this is a thing that we used to debate uh, when I was in church and very young, whether soldiers who converted needed to stop being soldiers. And we had concluded that we didn't see any evidence of that either. But uh, Travis, I want to turn it over to you. Sure. How is that possible? You know, if if pacifism is the correct stance, mm -hmm. how do you continue being a soldier and a pacifist? So now the first part about, you know, the uh, you know, the Roman like centurions and everything that became Christians and stayed in the military. I can, all I can do is speculate um, because, I mean, we, we really don't know too much. I mean, as far as written records go. But uh, I would assume that it would be dependent on what you're commanded to do, uh, that your first allegiance would be with Christ. And also there, there's a the thing, you know, I, I was thinking about what you said about it being practical at the time. And uh, it was very much uh, in inconvenient. I mean, the, the first Christians who decided to step away from like even uh, Israel. OK, they didn't when they stepped away from, you know, their Jewish culture, when that they started like progressing away from that. They lost a lot of protection they would have otherwise had. And, uh, you know, they face horrible, I mean, horrible uh, martyrdoms and uh, suffering for what they believe to be the teaching of Christ. And so um, I, I, I don't really see it as being very practical in that sense. Now, there is, you know, like, you know, a couple of hundred years later when Rome, like really when they finally converted to Christianity, then we start seeing it become more militant. Um, so there's that aspect to it. Um, I would just try to model in, in my view, what the, the first, like, you know, the disciples and the followers of the disciples at very early church and, uh, look at the martyrdom they faced, the suffering they faced, uh, on behalf of Christ and, and try and represent that particular view. So one of the questions I had, yeah, no, that makes sense. But I, so let me just throw this out there this is actually at the end of my list but um okay. i want to promote it uh right now um do you believe that jesus would have ever used lethal force uh against an attacker whether it's the military uh or uh his in his personal life uh 
And if not lethal force, how about just violence? Would he, would he, you know, punch someone in the face um, to save himself or his mother or, you know, what, what do we see with Jesus? Because I've, I've always seen in the Jesus character, someone who would never lift a finger to harm another, even if that other was set to harm him. I, I saw Jesus as an extreme pacifist, even though I was not an extreme pacifist right. as a Christian. Well, um, there, it's interesting because there's a lot of like, you know, things with like, well, the hypostatic union, you know, he's, he's God and man simultaneously. And like, he could like, you know, uh, he could prevent an attacker in a number of ways when it comes to that. But I, I also think of, uh, you know, times when like, you know, he drove out the, you know, there were money changers out in front of the temple and he was really offended by that. Like, you know, because he was, he he thought of it as like, you know, merchandising the house of God and everything. And we see him drive people out with a whip, kick over tables and and things like that. Uh, I don't think he would have ever used lethal force. Uh, I think he would definitely uh, do some form of restraint had it come to that. Uh, Okay. We'll explain the whip. Because the whip was a, it's pretty violent. Um, You know, was he just scaring them with the whip or was he actually ripping flesh off with a cat of nine tails? What, what was he doing? Okay. okay. Well, the whip, whip, I I don't think. Yeah. The whip described in the, in the new test or in the new Testament and John and how they made it and stuff was more like a, a, uh, a sheep, a sheep whip so um the pacifist is always yeah something like that you you know uh they they make it very clear that that's that was jesus intent was uh that whip was actually for the the uh the uh the animals more or less you know not for the people but no uh i know a lot of people never heard that yeah yeah uh, so i get a yeah man when i studied this uh, that you know because i was talking to titus a lot about it and uh yeah so i mean that was one of the one of the things they brought up. I looked into it and sure enough, it was it was correct. Uh, not not whether he didn't use it on the people or not. I have no idea. I don't I think we can only speculate about that. But as far as the type of whip, it wasn't some bull whip we think about like Indiana Jones had or something like that or cat of nine tails with shredding claws on them and and pieces of metal and bronze to them. You know? So I'm going to I'm going to do you a favor. I'm not going to actually go to the scripture text and see, but I um, I've never read it that way. I've always read it as Jesus taking a whip and using it uh, against the people to drive them out. He drove the people yeah, out. Uh, he drove he but, drove them and the animals out, both of them. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's. Yeah. It, I looked it up too because I had the same premonition as you, David, when I mm. when I first started looking into this, and there were things I had to adjust on it. So, but I think that's that's should happen to anybody that learns something new, you know. But okay. Well, what's interesting, David? Yeah. Well, what's interesting? Hang on, Travis. Okay, uh, go ahead, Travis. Travis trying to get in. Yeah, oh yeah, uh, I was just gonna say like it, it doesn't. Yeah, it, it doesn't actually mention him striking the people, um, and, and I don't think he would strike them like the the like cause them bodily pain or injury. Uh, but uh, I, I think you know, it is it was a form of chastisement, and we see it's actually connected to a verse in the Old Testament that you know my house will be called a house of prayer or, or some. I'd have to look at the exact verse, but he's actually getting that from an Old Testament verse, right? And so, um, 
it might be good to kind of look in the context of that. But um, yeah, I, I think it's more of just like, you know, chasing them away, like the threat of getting hit with a whip. Uh, I could even see something like that. And that drove them away. Okay. That's well, I, I think if he's threatening them with the whip, I'm not sure that I can separate that from actually whipping them because you're using violence either way. I mean, if the people no. are, are not afraid that immediate violence is going to be visited on them, they wouldn't have been threatened enough to leave. Uh, I don't know. I mean, if I see somebody like really angry, kicking over stuff, uh, driving stuff out with a whip, I, I, I'm probably going to, just like leave myself right because you think that something bad might happen to you but there presumably because travis is a is a big baby and he's scared of everything (laughs) (laughs) there there are more of them he's a texan there than there are yeah well i mean pacifist texan that i don't i don't buy it anyway um Um, yeah, I just, I, you know, I, oh, I see that me. is whether Jesus hit them with the whip or not, he's using a threat of violence in a way that they found credible enough to skidoo. Um, so I don't, but, but I, that, I, that I incident mean, aside, and I'm not, I'm not, honestly not sure if I credit that incident as actually uh, historical, I don't. I never did see Jesus as the kind of guy where if we transported him to our time, that he would have a gun under his pillow to protect his family. No, I I don't think so either. Absolutely. But David, I mean, you know, you spend so much time with us and this, I mean, what about your views here? I mean, uh, can you maybe rephrase the question for yourself as well and, and give everybody else a, cause you said, I mean, you said you don't have a worldview, which I don't buy. I mean, you do have a time where I think, you know, it's, it's time to stand up for something. So kind of like rephrase the questions. No, and, I and don't give have a worldview. Us, give, give us, give so. us, give us a, Give us uh, give us something from your side too, because I mean, you're only hearing from us and this is going to be late for a boring show. If that's the case. Well, it's not my fault that your beliefs are boring um, and at times inconsistent, but... Um, well, at I, least they're not always inconsistent <laughs> like you. Well, um, at least at least we have a worldview. You don't have oh, anything. Oh, Travis, so how can we trust are, you are, saying... These are not even though. shots. These are handshakes <laughs> before the shots. Um, yeah, I don't mind going uh, into it a little bit more. As I said, I think... Uh, it's, it's always more complicated and you have to work a lot harder when discussing a moral issue when you don't have a worldview. I kind of find worldviews lazy because it, it becomes a shorthand and then you can just kind of look in your worldview dictionary. Well, okay, well, whatever my worldview says, I'm supposed to think about this. That's what I think. Uh, I don't have one of those. I don't have a worldview dictionary. I have to figure it out as I go uh, and I have to use some some basic overarching principles, which I have talked about uh, some, and I will continue to talk about because you want me to, uh, which is uh, the greatest possible good for the greatest number of people uh, with the least amount of uh, suffering uh, visited uh, onto people. So how does that uh, cash out in a situation of, well, first of all, let's start with war. I said uh, from the outset, I don't like war. And I do appreciate pacifists. 
I'm not a pacifist. I've never been a pacifist, but I appreciate that position a lot more than I ever have uh, before. Uh, but I do think that, you know, when there is a tin pot dictator uh, who has charge over the lives of uh, hundreds of thousands or millions of people, and they are visiting the greatest possible suffering on the greatest possible of, uh, number of people within their reach, then it behooves us to stop it. Uh, I, I think that that is the, the essence of moral responsibility. Um, so, you know, what can I name a situation like that? Not off the top of my head, but I, uh, if I had to, if I had to go back in history and name a situation where I think we should have stepped in, uh, it would have been when Hitler was, um, roasting Jews. Uh, that's not actually what pulled us in. <laughs> I think the church, uh, with all of its military, uh, influence should have stepped in. The church was okay with it because the church was very anti-Semitic at the time. Um, so I think that that was a time when, uh, the, the moral thing did not push us. And I think that we went into the war for more practical reasons, because, you know, what if, what if Hitler gains more power in this place or that, and then he might be unstoppable and then he's coming for us. Uh, sure. That's a calculation. I don't think it's a particularly moral calculation. I think that at that point, it's just I see a place where this is going to hurt me personally, and so I should step in. But I think that we have a responsibility to step in when we see someone exerting uh, undue control over a people and causing the greatest amount of misery uh, possible. Uh, I do not, for instance, believe in uh, national autonomy or sovereignty. So this um, uh, this was uh, one of the uh, questions in my notes, and so it just will come up now. Um, I think that sovereignty is a bit of a cop-out. I don't think that nations have it. I don't think that individuals have it. Um, we uh, are individuals all sharing the same planet, and so we have some autonomy and sovereignty to a limit, but that limit uh, is, is indeed finite, and at some point, when someone is doing something that is harmful to greater society, greater society has to stand up and stop that person from doing it. And no amount of personal sovereignty or autonomy can justify not stopping the person. Right. So uh, I guess I'll step in. Um, one thing I, I would kind of clarify is while I am a pacifist, I, I do think we uh, have these, uh, moral obligations, like you were saying, you know, the thing with Hitler, uh, you know, we can kind of get into the history of that. And uh, yeah, sadly, uh, a lot of that had to do with the teachings of uh, Martin Luther, and, and it kind of promoted sort of an anti-Semitic view uh, within the church. So the, uh, I would definitely critique some of the church in that too. But uh, I, I guess uh, my thing would be, it would kind of come down to military practices, like how we go about doing this. Can we do it in the least, uh, lethal form possible to preserve the most amount of life possible so um i completely agree with kind of just some yeah yeah that i i think that uh when you're talking about applying force what you want to do if if it's possible to measure this sometimes we can't measure it um but if it's possible to do we need to apply the least amount of force to bring about right. the desired result not the yeah. greatest amount of force. You know, you don't 
you don't kill a bug with an atom bomb. Uh, right. That's that's not that's not a good use of force. Um, in fact, you don't you don't kill a bug with a hammer. You know there. So you you, you know you fly you you swat a fly with a fly swatter. That that seems like the right amount of force. Um, and so you have to you know there are times when you know it's not a bug. You know maybe it's. Um, a rabbit dog that's terrorizing the neighborhood. Maybe you need a hammer or a BB gun or or, or something. Uh, you know, if it's a bear, you need more than a hammer. You need something else. And so you have to you have to measure your response so that you do the least amount of harm to innocent people. Uh, you bring the most relief possible, the least amount of suffering possible. That's a difficult calculus, and I'm perfectly okay with disagreeing with people on where that calculus is, as long as we're all striving for the same calculus. Right. And yeah. I, I, hold on, Travis. Let me jump in real quick. Yeah, I, I would agree. And, you know, uh, just to, to piggyback off that point, David, is that that's how we're trained in, in my profession is that we have to use the least amount of force possible uh, to stop a threat or to contain somebody or, or to do anything, you know, at least amount of force. We do have a continuum that we measure it by. Uh, and sometimes it's blurred, you know, sometimes the, 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 the line is drawn where, you know, is this too much, you know, even for example, I, I, one of the softer forms of physical force is OC spray, right? However, that's just really painful, man. Um, and uh, that could also be used on the continuum as hard physical force, malicious wounding. Um, but on the same is the uh, the the taser and the baton, right? A baton can kill somebody, you know, and a uh, or, or a uh, knee blow up a <laughs> knee, you know, and cause permanent damage. And so can uh, uh uh, the taser gives people heart attacks. We've seen that now, you know? Um, so, I mean, there's several things that you have to do, but yes, least amount of force possible. And even when this, the threat is stopped, like if you shoot somebody two times in the chest, that ends the threat, they drop their weapon, they're on the ground hurting. You have to render aid. That's part of our job. We have to render first aid to them, you know? So secure the weapon or whatever they're using and, perform first aid. And I, I think that's a measured response. Yeah. I think the same thing is true in war. Uh, when you've won the war, the first thing you should do is render aid uh, to the people who suffered from the war. Uh, you, Absolutely. You, you, secure the, you secure the territory and then you render humanitarian aid. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it, it's so funny because there's such a, a line with this. And even Andrew brought this up in his question, which I think direct, directed – I don't know enough about directed uh, energy weapons. I don't know enough about them. But if – you know, once all that's put on the table and if that's that's viable, then, yeah, I mean, there it can be an act of war if it's perpetuated in that intention, you know, and it, and it does hurt people and so forth. So I, I think there can be that that uh, that line drawn once we have, uh, um, you know, uh, an idea of what that is, uh, what directed energy weapon is. I mean, I do know of one scenario, like uh, when Cisco decided he was going to bombard that one planet with that special photon torpedo, those are directed energy weapons. And, you know, he ended up killing the entire atmosphere, you know, and 
taking it out. So I mean, <laughs> but you're, uh, you're thinking <laughs> Deep Space Nine. And, I am um, thinking Deep Space Nine. And, uh, the last time we saw Commander Eddington. Um, yeah. yeah, excellent episode, by the way. It was. Um, it was a great episode. Yeah, I think I think Cisco went too far. Yeah, he um, did go too far. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, you also brought this up though, like with with using the atomic weapon. Uh, on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, for example, did we have to drop that second bomb? I don't think so. I think we should have gave them a little bit more time. Um, but did we have to drop that first bomb? I've heard really good arguments on both sides, and I'm just me too. Yeah. So I mean, it's just I don't know. I it, could it could it could have a island hopping war caused a lot more death and destruction? I mean, I wasn't at Okinawa. I don't know. So <laughs> I know it was what bad. I, what I so, what I understand from it is that the um, the emperor, the, the leader uh, of the forces were was willing to destroy all of his people to continue the war. And there was there was never going to be a point where he surrendered. And so uh, it took something that awful to make him stop now i don't know if that's true i wasn't there um even if it's true you know is it is it the least amount of harm to continue to fight a slow war where everybody dies um i don't i don't know that the answer to that question is beyond my pay grade um you know i have knee-jerk reactions on in, in both directions there. Uh, but I would, I would just have to say that if I was there and if I were on the council there making that kind of decision, uh, it would be based on the same thing that I have outlined, which is uh, to stop an evil with the, um, to do the greatest good for the greatest number of people and deliver the least amount of harm possible. Um, and so I don't like so many people, I don't condemn the bomb being used because I, I believe that the people who used it were in that calculus and whether they got it wrong or not is for history to, to decide. Uh, but I, I think that they, if they got it wrong, they got it wrong for the right reasons. Right. Right. And you know, there is something you said earlier too about, uh, Hitler and so forth. And there were people that, that did the, the assassination attempts that were part of the church. I mean, the Lutheran Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, was killed for his, his role in Valkyrie, you know? So I don't, I, you know, I think there were, were steps to be taken. I don't know if I may have understood your entire point there, but I, I do see where people actually stepped in to try to stop that man. Well, the church, the church at large, uh, and when I say the church, the Catholic church in particular, they did have, um, I've lost my, okay, there we go. They did have um, some some ability to uh, influence the world, to fight that, to engage in, you know, what they would have considered a holy war. Um, and whereas I'm not a believer in holy wars, if you're going to have one at all, that would have been, that would have been a good time for it. Um, so... Yeah, I war it's a terrible thing, but once again I think it's a necessary thing and this is why I can't get on board with pacifism because pacifism suggests there's never a time when when this remedy is appropriate. Uh Travis speak to that a little bit because you identify somewhat as a pacifist. Yeah, so um 
I think it, it should be avoided at, at any and all costs. Well, I don't want to say any, but at, at all reasonable, um, much more reasonable than we would even take it now uh, costs. And, you know, I, I can't help but think, you know, there there's like a lot of reform that we could do. Like, I, I don't agree with uh, a, a lot of these things. We Like, for example, could we put some type of like highly potent tranquilizer darts in place of bullets? Um, you know, I, I even locally, I, I, I think law enforcement takes uh, when they use force, they will use the deadliest amount of force possible. And the same it's the same thing with our military. And so uh, I, I would say we, we we're justified in going to war if it's a, a matter of life or death, national security, like, you know, the North Koreans are going to take over America if we don't do anything. Uh, in, in those cases, uh, I, I think it is, but I think there's a lot more, there's a lot of steps we could do to preserve the most amount of life possible. Well, what if it's the North Koreans who are going to take over the South Koreans and America's not directly involved? Shouldn't we still get involved because we can? Hmm. I, I think we should. I think we should pursue peace talks at all costs if, like, you know, if they're just not hearing it and they're going to war. Um, I, I think it is morally justified to step in, but again, uh, with even less force than we would use uh, protecting our own country. I, I just like, you know, I, I recognize that there are times when we need to step up and I think we're under moral obligation, even as, you know, as even as Christians, like we have this moral obligation to, to serve God and do what's morally right. But I think we should do it in the least harmful way. And I don't think we're doing that. Okay, let's transition from war a little bit. By the way, Brian, with an I uh, in the chat, uh, I see your quote from uh, Justin Martyr. Uh, would you uh, be so kind sometime uh, today or tomorrow to post that on the board, um, particularly after the show has been out? Uh, so uh, that I, I think that's very useful in uh, providing some perspective. Those of you who are listening to the show who are wondering what I'm talking about, you'll see. Um, all right, so let's let's transition to self-defense here. Uh, and this may be redundant, but I feel exactly the same way about self-defense as I do with war. It's not a thing that um, I want to do. It's not a thing that I look forward to doing, uh, but it's a thing that I'm prepared to do. And I think that a lot of people are prepared to do it. This is why people uh, take martial arts classes. Uh, because they're preparing themselves against the eventuality that they have to do violence to another human being. That's, that's the whole point of martial arts class. You can think of it as, um, you know, good exercise and dance. It's, it's a way of training yourself to be able to do violence uh, and if necessarily the uh, violence against another human being. Um, you know, we uh, it's, it's legal to buy guns in this country. I, rather wish it was not. But one of the main reasons people say they need to own a gun is so that they can be prepared to deal lethal violence uh, against an attacker. Uh, so I, I think we have an overwhelming uh, sense in, in the US. I'm curious to, to see how um, some of our European uh, hosts think about this. Maybe I'll get some of that tomorrow, but we seem to have an overwhelming um, understanding that it is okay to use lethal force 
to protect yourself. So let's just take a brief poll uh, among the panelists. Uh, I think it's okay to use lethal force to protect yourself. But the reason I think that, and please provide your reason when you give the answer. The reason I think that is probably somewhat monstrous. It's going to be hard for some people to hear, but I will just be perfectly honest. I think it is okay for me to protect myself because I am the most important person in the world to me. Um, my life is valuable to me. It does not have to be valuable to anyone else, but it is the most valuable thing to me and I will protect it that way. And then the, the wife of my tribe, I mean, the life, the, the wife of my tribe, uh, the life of my tribe, however I define my tribe, my immediate family um, and my uh, parents, uh, my um, extended family, um, you know, whatever my tribe is, my, my friends, those lives are extremely important to me and they are way more important to me than the life of any attacker. Uh, so in the, in the uh, grand value of human lives, uh, the, the highest value to me is the lives of me and my tribe. And I would do anything to protect it. So, um, Russell, uh, your thoughts on self-defense, obviously, considering what you do, you wouldn't do what you do if you didn't believe that self-defense, um, was okay. And you, I imagine are also someone who knows how to deal lethal, um, force when needed. Uh, tell me about, uh, your thought though, and, uh, what you base that decision on. Well, I do think that self-defense is a viable option for Christians. Uh, again, I laid this out, I think earlier, uh, with my whole, le you, you know, when the, when it's appropriate to use lethal force is uh, justifiable when you feel like your life is in danger of that of your family. Um, I don't think I, I, there are people that go way out of bounds and they look for fights, but I do have a concealed weapons permit. I do conceal every carry every once in a while. I are, do. Are you packing use, right now? You know, no, I'm in my house. No. I mean, I'm just <laughs> absolutely. Not. <laughs> not I, I, you know, guys, I, I gotta, I gotta admit, man, I love going to the range. I love shooting. I love shooting different type of guns. I mean, it's definitely fun. Uh, you know, I, I have to qualify four times a year to be able to carry on the on my job. So uh, there is. I used definite... to have a BB gun. I love to target practice. Um, yeah. So I, I understand that. And there's, you know, there's, there's definitely, like I said, there, there's definitely a huge issue uh, when it comes to this. And that is, you know, as in this field, you have to know what's beyond your target. Okay. Um, we just got, you know, I just went through uh, a recertification training. I told you I've been slammed this month with recertification trainings. Uh, it's even bleeding over into some into next month because the company can't get their act right. But, uh, but that that only comes to life saving stuff, you know, like CPR and so forth. But <laughs> anyway, anyways, uh, you know, knowing what's beyond your your target because you can hurt somebody. You know, that bullet can easily go past and strike an innocent bystander, and it happens. So mindfulness, um, uh, we go through training, uh, certain trainings where we have three targets flip, and one of them's holding a gun and two are not. 
and you have to be able to quickly decide who, who you're going after. I mean, and you have to know what's beyond that target, you know, and sometimes behind it at the 25 yard line is, is an innocent person. So, you know, it's just, you know, there's, there's so many different areas that you have to be trained in when it comes to this. And when it comes to what I believe in this is, is yes, I, I, I take the biblical view of self-defense on the aspect of, you know, uh, human life is, is valuable. There is, uh, there are some scriptures that I think you could look into and say, okay, well, Jesus was talking about this versus that. Uh, I think like the one where you turn the other cheek, I think that was obviously a, a, a step to pride and uh, disrespect and, and, and a challenge of so, you know, so on. Um, but yeah, I, I think that when it comes to somebody doing you seriously bodily harm, it's not uh, uh and it could be vague, Brian P. I mean, it, you know, it could be vague. I, I don't know for sure because, uh, I, you know, I didn't get a chance to really look into it. But as far as I'm, I'm concerned, I think there is a justification of, of using uh, a, a force and that it can get to a lethal point. So, Travis. Is that good? Um, yeah. Travis, what do you think and why? And uh, a question from the uh, peanut gallery. Is there is there one biblical view on this? Are there multiple biblical views uh on this how does how does one kind of come to a quote-unquote biblical view on lethal force and self-defense okay so uh I'll, I'll kind of start with my view and then go to the uh what i think is biblical uh and, and this is a an interesting question because uh i did uh especially before i became a, a christian uh i got a blue belt in uh brazilian jiu-jitsu and uh I, i'm really passionate about brazilian jiu-jitsu and so there are ways of you look like you're built for Brazilian jiu-jitsu, actually. Uh, I, I bet that you're a very fierce competitor there. <laughs> but I mean, so there are things you can do, like, let's say, like a Kimura arm like or, or a guillotine choke to, to like restrain somebody without hurting them. So I don't think we should cause any undue pain uh, or uh, anything of that sort on even like, you know, attack people who are in the wrong okay we shouldn't cause anything undue uh I, I think the only time you should come to uh violence or life and death is if you or uh, like a, a loved one are in immediate uh physical danger then i think it's okay to use forms of restraint the least amount possible but yes to restrain and deadly force would only be if uh you're in imminent physical danger of dying or a loved one is dying from this attacker. I think that's the only circumstance in which you like, I, I don't think even somebody breaking into your house, I think we should try and if at all possible, restrain them. I know a lot of people will disagree with me on that. And there may be good reason to, to disagree yeah. on, on that, on that particular one. So that, that that's a little, <laughs> that, that is a little controversial, but, um, yeah, so with the biblical view, um, I kind of take things like, you know, um, again, with the, the Sermon on the Mount, I, I think we have uh, an obligation to, to love, like even those who would persecute us and, and everything. And I, I don't think that there's one specific uh, view on what to do if someone's like physically attacking you. Uh, maybe uh, Russell can chime in on that biblically. I'm, I'm not yeah. quite sure. I can tell you, I don't love people who are persecuting me or who are maliciously using me or who are uh, 
tarnishing my good name or uh, causing me harm. I, I actually think that's kind of bad advice. Um, but I, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take any of my views about self-defense from the Sermon of the Mount. Um, I do take them once again, trying to apply my principle as much as I can. And I can't say that it's always consistent. Uh, but if someone is trying to kill me in this instance, I'm innocent and they are not. And innocent life is always going to be more valuable to me than guilty life. If they're trying to kill someone that I care about as much as I care about myself, uh, that person's life is going to be more valuable than the person who's trying to take their life. And so we're, we're kind of looking at this in a, in a framework of, well, what if, what if they're coming after me? And I guess the term self-defense kind of, kind of evokes that idea. But I think a more interesting idea is what about just defense of the other? So if someone walks into a school with a gun uh, to shoot up some kids, uh, is it okay to, to kill them? Uh, are, are you going to have a conversation with them? I, uh, they've maybe shot three kids already and they're think, looking for the gym. Uh, what is that? Okay. Can we, can we put that person down for good? I think, uh, yes. again, David, uh, I, I uh, think, okay. go ahead, Travis. Oh, no, I was going to say briefly that I don't take pacifism to such a strong degree that, Oh, we should just, you know, uh, pray, pray for him and love him anyway. Like if somebody's shooting, no, I think we have a, a moral obligation to stop somebody like that at any and all cost. And I think uh, at that point, uh, non-lethal, non-violence thing is, is off the table and that needs to be stopped at all costs. So I would not take pacifism that far. Okay. Russell? Yeah, I would, I would, I, I think that, yeah, we have moral obligations to protect them children. I, I, uh, that that's where I would stand easily. Okay. Um, we're having way too much agreement. So let me see if I can throw in a, a um, homemade, what do you call it? An IDE and uh, improvised um, device. Uh, I, some kind of improvised explosive device. Um, I want to throw one of those in there. Um, because Travis, you uh, you kind of um, brought this up yourself. Uh, you're saying okay. um, if a person breaks into your home, mm -hmm. that's that's not uh, enough. Now I understand that pers perspective. Mm -hmm. So don't get me wrong. I, I think as a talking point, to. yeah. No, as a talking point, I do get it. But um, I have I have person or people, depending on what when it is that I'm responsible for. And if someone breaks in my home, uh, I'm not going to negotiate. I'm not going to have a conversation uh, to see if I can get them to just steal the TV. But please don't hurt anybody. If they are in my home, they are dead if I can make them dead. Because I don't know what they are going to do. Maybe they will just steal the TV and leave, but maybe they come in and they kill everybody first, uh, you know, so they can take their time and get more than TV. I have no idea when maybe they thought the house was empty. When they see someone is here, they're going to shoot people. I don't know. 
And I don't have time to ascertain what they're going to do. Uh, and so this is the kind of situation where a person has forfeited, and I, I do believe this as a, as a part of my uh, overarching principle, you can forfeit your life. There are things that you can do to, to take your life out of, out of it, its protected state. You know, if you step in front of a train, you have forfeited your life. It is not the train's fault that you are dead. It's on a track. Okay, you have to, you actually have to go where the train is to get hit by a train. It cannot swerve into you. <laughs> so uh, you have forfeited your life. Um, if uh, there, if you uh, rob a bank, uh, you have forfeited your life. You have, there are lots of things that you can do to do that. If you, if you try to, you know, put a gun up to a police officer's uh, head while he's in a car, uh, to try to steal the police car, you have forfeited your life. You may or may not lose it in those situations, but you have given up any right to it uh, that you once had. And so once a person has stepped into my house, uh, uninvited, in a, in a way in time where I believe that they are there to do harm or could do harm, I don't need to ask the next question. They have, they have moved into a state of forfeiture uh, and I am going to do what it takes to protect myself. As um, the uh, black conservative uh, Ken Hamblin used to say, I would rather be judged by 12 than carried by six. Okay, so uh, my particular response, to, I, I think we should kind of look at it in, in context and from my point of view. Uh, I, I think it's situational. I think... Uh, if somebody breaks in and, uh, well, you know, here in Texas, like almost everybody has a gun. Uh, and let's say somebody's breaking in to, to rob, to steal and everything. Well, I, I, I can stop that person without, if I can possibly stop that person without ending their life. I think that's, that's what uh, I, I would do. Like, for instance, you could shoot somebody in the leg. You could uh, Restrain them, but it, it would be situational. Like, let's say, doesn't have, it take an awful well, lot of control to, you know, you're in the heat of the moment, your heart's right. beating fast. They probably have a gun. You've got a gun. You might get one shot. You're going to try to leg them. I'm, I'm going to hit, I'm going to go for the biggest body mass possible. Well, yeah. You know, okay. So, well, so uh, here's, here's how uh, I understand uh, it, Travis. Okay. Uh, like, here's how I understand it. Um, I, uh, unfortunately, you know, David, I, I agree with you more or less. If someone comes into your house, they have already pretty much forfeited the right for uh, autonomy, basically, in, in the realm of, of, of justified homicide, I guess is what we would call it. Uh, maybe I'm saying phrasing that wrong. But when they come into your house with the intent to and people are in there, which is, you know, that's ballsy. <laughs> You're definitely got intent. And if if they have the opportunity, the ability and the intent to do harm, I think you're justified in uh, using lethal force to defend your family and yourself. Uh, and you are right. You go for the biggest body mass. You aim small. You're going to miss small and you have to know what's beyond your target. You could hurt somebody else, especially depending on the bullets you use. If you're using a, a straight uh grain bullets that are full metal jacket you know you're they're going to go through the, your wall probably and they're probably going to end up uh or through your window and end up in your neighbor's house you have to take that into consideration um use some hydro shock that's not going to happen so if someone breaks into your house 
uh, and you and you and you shoot at center mass, you're most likely going to hit that target if, if you're good at shooting. Um, but there's a lot of factors that have to be taken into consideration as well as far as that that is concerned. But yeah, I, you hit center mass and you render aid. And that's that's where I would be. Uh, I would I would stop the threat. Uh, and that could be unloading a full magazine because stress gets to you. And you, then you're you're dealing with 17 rounds that you might be having to stop up. <laughs> um, yeah. But your intent is never to kill them. That's what you have to keep in mind. And that's what uh, uh, the prosecution is even going to look at, at, you know, um, was this guy running away? Did you see him and did he run away to leave your house as soon as he saw you? That will be taken into consideration. And you have to have enough wherewithal. If you have your your gun or, or something and you have it aimed at them and they're running away, you're, you're a private citizen. And at that point, um, I'm going to let them go out of that house. I'm going to let them yeah. run away. I'm not going to shoot. Uh, my life's not in danger at that point. So, Andrew, I see you have a question. I'm going to uh, – David, is it okay that we let him in and oh, discuss? Yeah. 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 Andrew, go ahead. So you were touching on a point there, David R., that I thought was, was really interesting and parallel to a question that I wanted to ask about stand your ground laws. So the conversation right now is focusing around uh, what if the bad guy comes in your house or – uh, you know, maybe they're maybe they're trying to carjack you or, you know, someplace that is clearly private to you. Right. And um, I, I will just say uh, for myself that uh, I don't think I have the capacity to easily judge in most circumstances how lethal the other person intends to be. I, I would like to be able to do that. You know, can I trust them to only steal the TV, as David said? I, I think that kind of foreknowledge is um, is pretty difficult for most of us uh, to have in the moment, but it it parallels that idea of, of these these sorts of uh, you know what if I'm in Gander Mountain you know what if I'm in an outdoor outfitter and somebody comes in uh, and they're going to do harm now they they don't have uh, they don't have an automatic weapon or a semi-auto with some sort of a bump stock, right? So they're, they're single shot. Um, or, or maybe they've only got a knife, right? Maybe they don't have a, maybe they don't have a gun. But in the, in the United States, that seems unlikely. So what about standard ground laws? From the, just from the Christian perspective, I know what I think about them. But from the Christian perspective, do we have the obligation to retreat in a public space uh, or, or can we stand our ground? Uh, not trying to back you into a corner. Just curious what your thoughts are. No. And just um, so you, just so you know, yeah. Andrew and I argued about this a couple of days ago. Yeah. Uh, and we were so, on very different sides. Wow. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, okay. Well, we argue all the time. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, no, it, it's okay. I mean, I understand this question. I get it, man. Um, the, you know, I've seen, I've seen situations where staying your ground laws can be. Uh, just justified to uh, have people commit murder. Uh, I, there, there's a one situation where this guy was standing at the bottom of his ground and, and these kids were uh, just walking towards him, talking crap to him. They weren't, they had no weapon. They had nothing. And this guy just mowed, mowed them down. He mowed, mowed the, these kids down and he got away with, with it for stand your ground. Um, Cause he was able to justify, Hey, they were coming at me. 
And there were more of them than there was of me, even though there, I don't know how he got away with intent. Uh, I don't know who argued that. There is a, there is part of this that, that like you're saying, uh, Andrew, I think you alluded to this, uh, that uh, you can't know people's intent all the time, right? So the law has to cover that area and somebody can argue it good and somebody can argue it badly. And in some cases in stand your ground laws, it's argued badly. In some cases in stand your ground laws, it's argued very well uh, because there is obvious intent. Uh, and I think you can and some people can prove that better than not. And that's what that's what the, the courts are actually going to look at. That's what the prosecutor is actually going to look at, at least from what I'm told from my training. You know, they give us case law and they, they give us stuff like that that we have to look over and we're even tested on. So uh, from from uh, and they show us training videos that where these 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 events happen and, and you do see people get shot and killed. and It's horrific, but they, they do that to teach us, you know, so. Uh, so I do see issues where staying your ground laws are effective. Like if you're in Gander mountain and somebody has a knife and they're closing in on you, uh, you know, it's funny because somebody can close in on a knife on you almost quicker than you can draw out your weapon. Uh, the, the distant gap is, is very, very short and it's very, very precise. And if you have the ability to stop that person, and if you can't stop that person and they're coming at you with a knife, now they stabbed you, they have your gun. So now they can do even more damage. So where stand your ground laws would be effective in that situation, absolutely. So you have to think about all these scenarios that go on. Um, and sometimes uh, even these laws and so forth, they, they, uh, they hinder a lot too. So like you have a, a police officer that was uh, accused of taking his gun out too many times in situations that he wasn't able to, he shouldn't have done it. Well, it just so happens that he was hesitant when he shouldn't have been, and he paid the price. He got killed by a a, a Vietnam vet that was uh, in a state of delirium that loaded a shotgun in his car right in front of him, and the guy just had his gun out. He finally drew, and he just said, stop doing it, stop doing it. He didn't want to use lethal force. He didn't use lethal force, and a gun battle ensued, and the cop was killed. And you could hear his last breaths on 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 the radio. It was It was not a pleasant uh, video. Um, but yeah, so I mean, there, I, I, I don't know if that answers your question, Andrew, but from my perspective, I do see justification for it, especially in regards to the public sphere and uh, assisting in uh, stopping a threat that is uh, a viable threat. And I've also seen where it's abused. So we're, we're getting close to the end here, but Travis, I, I want to let you in on stand your ground before I give my, um, thoughts on it um like i said andrew and i we we argued about this the other day so he knows exactly yeah, what my yeah. thoughts are okay so uh i, I kind of you know i'm definitely no expert on this so you know kind of take what i say with a grain of salt but uh i resonate with a, a lot of what david said um I, I in principle i i would you know say it's okay yes it's justified but there's so many uh like, like mitigating factors uh, it's so situational and then, you know, in the heat of the moment, you got to realize that we're human beings. So, you know, your brain's going to get overloaded with like uh, neuroepinephrine, dopamine. You have all these, you know, chemicals firing off too. Uh, so 
I, I guess I, I would be in favor of it in principle, but it's very uh, dependent on certain situations. And there, there's just a lot of factors that go into it. So my, my thoughts, are, it's very simple to me, but simple in a complicated kind of way. The, uh, the driving principle uh, is, has a person done something that would account to forfeiture of their life? Um, so I don't care if they have a gun. Uh, I don't see well. Uh, they, you know, they might hold something out uh, in a threatening way in a gun-like manner, and maybe it's a maybe it's a pocket knife. In the heat of the moment, I may not know that. Uh, but the fact that they threatened me in that way would, for me, mean they have forfeited their life, and. At that point, I have to decide what to do. And so we, we can talk about fight or flight. My knees are shot. Um, I've got five screws holding my uh, legs together. I cannot run. <laughs> uh, you know, if I see the bus um, and I, and I want to make it, I'm just going to have a kind of fast, waddly walk, and then it'll leave and I can't catch it. There's nothing I can do to catch it because I physically cannot run. I used to be a runner, so that's kind of heartbreaking to me. Um, but in a, in a fight or flight moment, flight's not in the cards for me. Um, so if I try to run, uh, my thinking is that anyone who wanted to do me harm could catch me. I anyone <laughs> could catch me. Um, so I have to do what I can do, uh, in a stationary, uh, manner. So flight's out it's fight. Now, what was the, what was the provocation for the fight? Uh, a case was mentioned where, you know, some, some kids, I assume teens, uh, came at a person. So if some teens come after me, it's maybe dark. I'm coming from the Apple store. I, you know, I, I went and brought my laptop to Apple care and I fixed it. I'm trying to come home. Uh, maybe they're going to steal my bag, but, uh, you know, someone, uh, is, is, threatening an ass kicking. Well, you know what? I don't want an ass kicking. I have the right not to get an ass kicking. Um, so have they forfeited their right? Um, is their life worth my ass? Uh, yeah, they have uh, comparing those two together. I'm going to save my ass and I'm going to kill them if I can, because I don't want an ass kicking. I can't run from them. Uh, and by threatening me in that manner, they have forfeited their lives. And I think that people have a, a, a real responsibility to treat their lives with a bit more care than that. Uh, and if you are someone who is treating your life as if it's something of value, you don't pit it against another life. You don't threaten people. You don't uh, bully people. You don't uh, you know, take things from people. Uh, and when you have decided that that's what you're going to do with your life, then I think that the forfeiture of your life is inevitable. And I frankly hope it comes sooner rather than later so that you can't attack someone else, because th this is the other part of the equation. If they're attacking me, and I'm not actually a, a very tempting target, I'm somewhat of an imposing person when I'm standing, standing up. If they're attacking me, they're going to attack your mother. They're going to attack your daughter. They're going to attack your kid. Uh, and if I could have stopped them, but I chose not to stop them, I chose to 
you know, do something else so that they can either come after me or someone uh, after me because, you know, I didn't, I didn't kill them. I didn't even hurt them. I, I left them angry and uh, impotent. I, I think you've maybe created an even worse situation. So uh, this is uh, something that Andrew uh, and I would call the, the Inderwigan doctrine, um, which is uh, no, I'm not, I'm not fighting this fight for this moment. I'm fighting this fight for every moment after it. Yeah. Yeah, David, I also uh, hear you. Edmund Burke, I think, was the one that said that, you know, evil can thrive when good men do nothing. Uh, and I would see that in a situation where somebody could, uh, you know, be hurt and uh, and are doing the harm and then going off and doing even more harm. Um, that's definitely something that needs to be considered. And that's why cops have, were granted. I think it was the case of uh, the O'Connor case where uh, a suspect that was armed was fleeing and was jumping over a fence. And because he was a threat to others, uh, the officer shot him in the back. And uh, yeah, he had that. That's but as a citizen, we don't have that option. So there are different levels. There's different uh, continuums. There's or not different continuums, but there's different uh, situations that that would just be justified for a peacekeeping officer versus a civilian. So yeah, I I hear you. I think that 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 somebody that could attack another person um, and try to do bodily harm to him, especially you, you know there you know I think you have the justification to stop him, and I think okay, you have an so obligation to stop him. So this is this is a very unusual episode of Skeptics and Seekers. Uh, I'm bored with all the agreement. So what I'm going to do is uh, ask everyone to come up with a closing thought. Uh, if you can throw out a, a non sequitur personal insult at somebody, that would make me feel more at home. I don't know. I don't know what's become of this show. All right, I'll um, start off. I'll start <laughs> off. Okay. Um, yeah. So when it comes to self defense and and stuff, you know, I think it's a. Uh, 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 a, 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 you know, I did want to hear Andrew before we did close up because I know he's the one that asked this question originally. I just want to hear his follow up with it before I start. Andrew. Okay. So, uh, I will go ahead and make, uh, a, a quite controversial statement for the close. Um, most of the listeners know that I was born in the Southeast. Uh, I grew up in the Southeast. I continue to live in the Southeast. And I've been on the wrong side uh, of a gun three times in my life. Twice they were aimed at me. Once I was holding a gun on someone else. So I'll go ahead and say, if you've got a gun in your hand or if someone else has got a gun in their hand, there's no right side of a gun. And if you've ever been faced with holding a killing machine on someone else and you're having to make the decision about whether to pull the trigger or not, it changes you. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't change you, if you don't forever see a gun differently after you've had to hold someone at gunpoint, you should turn in every gun you own. It should change you. When I was, um, when I was, uh, before I was 25, I was the kind of guy that could say, 
someone breaks in my house, I'll shoot him in the head. After that incident, when I was 25, I could no longer say that. Having the ability to kill someone and being faced with it should change you. There is no right side of a gun. I'm not arguing whether we should or shouldn't have it. But I am saying for this podcast and to everyone that can hear me, there is no right side of a gun. And I don't want to say anything else because I want that thought to resonate until the next person speaks. I challenge you to find whoever you are listening. I challenge you to find the right side of a gun. All right, so back back to my my uh, closing statement here. Andrew is old. That's my insult. Uh, David, you're a pirate, uh, and it's proven. These, that these are just true things of which we're uh, very proud. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, guys, seriously, I, I I I resonate with what Andrew said. There's not one day, there's not any day, that when I arm up in the morning that I'm thinking to myself, my God, I hope I don't have to ever use this. And I have a rule that I don't touch. Once that stuff goes onto my gun belt, I don't touch it unless something really seriously pops off. So whenever you say that, guess what? When it, uh, you had a boring day at work, thank God I had a boring day at work. Thank God. And every day, that's kind of my mindset. So uh, yes, it does. Uh, watching, even watching training videos like, like the ones I've seen are disturbing. Um, um, and you guys have, have seen other, other videos that I'm sure in your life that cause you to pause. And there are even situations that we've been in that, that are not fun. So I'll leave it there. Uh, but yeah, I resonate with Andrew on that. So, um, who's ever next go for it. Travis, um, how would you like to uh, round it out? You can take a couple of minutes to say anything you want to, as is our tradition. Our closing arguments are not um, interrupted, so you can say whatever you like. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I was the best person to have, like, representing the uh, the pacifist view, because I, I'm sort of on, on this journey uh, that I've started and, uh, you know, kind of coming from more of a, you know, gung-ho self-defense uh, mode. But um, I think when it, when it comes to these things, I think we should take the least amount of restraint and force uh, that will like, you know, safely protect ourselves and others. Um, I, I do think a lot of the, uh, the practices are uh, unnecessary. Like uh, even the example uh, David said about the police officer who shot the guy in, in the back, you know, because he was a threat to others. Well, granted that, I mean, but isn't there other things like, like, let's say, uh, you know, a, a tranquilizer gun, uh, uh, if he was in range of taser, like something that could have stopped him, stopped him and brought him to justice before shooting him. Uh, and, and like the thing with, you know, somebody breaking into the, your house, I, I think it's very much dependent. Kind of, uh, I, I like a lot of what David said, like if the person's running away, 
I let them go. Now, if it's pitch black, somebody's breaking in and I have my, you know, my family's there. Sure. You, you can't, you can't, you're, you are very much uh, justified and obligated, I would say, to shoot, uh, you know, and not for the leg, but to shoot if you're, you know, in that immediate threat of uh, danger. So I'm not a full on pacifist in that way. I guess my, my thing would be we should strive to take uh, the least amount of uh, violent approach necessary. Uh, I think we should abolish the death penalty, to be honest. Um, I think life in prison would be uh, is worse than the death penalty uh, punishment wise. And um, I, I guess to close out, um, and a lot of people would disagree with this, but I think we should, uh, or I should view uh, people through the eyes of Christ, the right to see them. And that includes people who persecute me, who speak evil against me, who want to harm me uh, and, and everything. So my, my goal is to do the least amount of harm to another in human being possible and see others through the eyes of Christ. Okay. So Travis, um, I, um, I hope you can stop by tomorrow. It's a special um, show tomorrow because we, like I said, we couldn't, uh, have them on today, but we are talking about the death penalty uh, tomorrow, and I'm I'm going to want your perspective. So I hope you can uh, sacrifice at least some time. It's going to be at noon uh, Eastern time, so same time as this show. If you can't, that's okay. But um, I'd love to hear from you. I would say to you in response, uh, you're the you're the kind of pacifist that gives me hope for Texas. Um, because I don't see, I normally don't Thank see you. a lot of hope for Texas, and um, it has been, it has been uh, the highlight of my week uh, to talk to you and uh, have you talk to uh, my audience. So thank you uh, very much for for coming along. I find it interesting um, that uh, the four of us who have participated uh, on mic today, we're very different people. I assure you, Andrew and I are are <laughs> very different people. Um, and uh, Russell uh, and I are very different people, and uh, Travis and Russell are different people. You can hear it as they talk. And yet, we have almost a hundred percent agreement <laughs> on all of these things um, that we're discussing today. I did not expect that, by the way. Um, that's a little bit of a surprise to me. It's a it's a pleasant surprise. It's a delightful surprise. And so, in the same way that uh, Travis gives me hope for Texas. Uh, a conversation like this gives me hope for humanity. Um, that regardless of your worldview or no worldview, it is possible to come to sane and rational uh, negotiation when it comes to important matters of life and death. Uh, we need more of these kinds of conversations in the world because right now i think the national conversation the global conversation around these things is insanity uh so rather than ending with um some of the other things that i had to say you you can find me in the comments skeptics and seekers dot squarespace.com or you can send me an email skeptics and seekers at gmail.com um might bring up some of the things that we didn't talk about then, but I just want to, I just want to end on a very positive and hopeful note um, that, um, 
good good things are possible uh, when right thinking people can come together and negotiate. And we don't need a a man in the sky uh, or a uh, unicorn or a flying spaghetti monster uh, or any magical idea to come to solid, insane consensus over these sorts of things. And um, for, for a while, I had somewhat despaired of that. But I do this show because I want to find those moments. And so I, I think looking back, this is probably the show that um, I will say has validated the season uh, of the show because there are a lot of times during this season when I just wanted to just not come back the next week. Uh, I look forward to coming back uh, the next couple of weeks. Now, the conversations will get harder. Tomorrow, um, by the time you hear this uh, in the feed, both of the shows might be there, but tomorrow, uh, the uh, the great thinker, Matthew Taylor, uh, will be on the show. And uh, I don't know who else will come. Uh, I think Chase, uh, Chase Tyler will also be on the show tomorrow. Um, and we're going to talk about the death penalty. Uh, this is, this is a hard topic. Um, but I, and I don't know how it's going to go. I, I simply, I believe that there will be a lot of disagreement. Uh, and I'm hoping for more of that rational negotiation, uh, that we saw today. And then the following week is going to be a harder topic. Um, euthanasia and suicide. Uh, but we have to, we have to have this conversation. Um, it's a part of our full humanity and it's part of our responsibility to humanity to take our big brains and contemplate um, and negotiate uh, a reasonable way forward. Uh, so uh, one other plug I want to make, uh, Andrew hasn't announced it yet. Um, and he's been thinking about not announcing it. So I'm going to try to force his hand. He wants to uh, do a show on gun uh, ownership and gun violence. Uh, and I want to take this moment to encourage him to uh, move forward with that plan because there's a, there's a real discussion to be had uh, there. And I think that you can kind of begin to see some of the outlines of that. So uh, we look forward to that show. Uh, I hope. I don't know whether I will be on it or not, but I certainly look forward to hearing it. And I'm pretty sure that his attitude about it is if I, if I have successfully pushed it so that it happens, I will not be able to weasel out of being on it. But um, that said, I, I just want to thank everyone. And um, I think we'll uh, end there. Uh, so uh, goodbye, goodbye, everybody.